Welcome to the first Assorted Nuts special edition podcast. I'm Dave Burse, I'm the host of this podcast and founder of inspiration company Additive. This is the introductory episode where I talk to Julian Hanford, who's the creator of Assorted Nuts, to find out more about what the project is about, and I announce my own involvement in it. So think of us like a creative team, Jules is the pictures, I'm the words, Jules is the one who'd finish a fight, I'd be the one who'd have started it in the first place. So we've got five more interviews coming right behind this one with some of the advertising legends who are being featured in a preview exhibition at the DNAD 50th Anniversary Bash. But you'll just need to wait and find out who they are. Think of it as an exciting advent calendar of creativity surprising you with a stimulating treat every morning for the next five days. So, to hear about the Assorted Nuts project from the horse's mouth, I met up with Jules a few days ago at the EMAP offices, who kindly lent us a meeting room. Thanks, Danny. And this is the result. Sitting in a lovely little meeting room on a sunny, sunny London day with Julian Hanford, who is the man behind Assorted Nuts. Hello, Julian. How are you? I'm very. I'm good. I'm good. I'm suffering from a hangover at the moment, but um, <laughs> apart from that, okay. So, so why, why the hangover? Uh, the APA do last night. <laughs> the APA show, which they have every year, which is uh, about 900 advertising production people getting extremely drunk, <laughs> <laughs> including you. So, assorted nuts. In a no, I didn't mean to say in a nutshell, but there we go. In, in a nutshell, what is it? It's, um, it, well, it started out because um, uh, I've only been a photographer for four years. I mean, I, obviously I come from a great, great, great background, but about two years ago I decided that I wanted to make a, th- a really themed exhibition. And um, I just, you know, basically thought about what I wanted to do. And it was what I, you know, kind of knew well. And it was obviously advertising. What I wanted to do was actually sort of um, show in a visual sense um, the kind of um, schizophrenia, if you like, of of, um, advertising creativity, what it's like to work as a creative director, what you have to do, the the kind of challenges you... So I got thinking about it. And I, I knew I wanted to photograph some of the people that I really... Um, respected when I was a young art director um, and uh, you know who have done work that you know is truly legendary I mean it's like you know stuff that actually the general public recognize and still you know recognize as, as great advertising I knew I wanted to do pictures of them but I didn't want to do just picture, you know straightforward portraits of them it had to be something that had added value because otherwise I don't think anybody would be really particularly interested in just seeing pictures of people they didn't know so regardless of whether you kind of recognise the person in the shot the shot had to say something about the creativity of advertising um, and, and do something a bit more it had, to, it had to be a work of art basically I got thinking about um, you know how to do this, and it was really I thought if I you know if I approached these people and actually sort of offered to work with them almost as a creative team um, to come up with an idea that encapsulated or you know embodied what what they were about, um, that would be you know a great way to do it. With these things, you've got you've always got to sort of give it kind of like a a structure. So I planned to shoot fifty. 
um, which was quite ambitious and uh, I didn't realise that at the time before I started but it's um, you know uh, it's getting there. I'm, I'm, I'm 35 now, I think. I've got about another 15 to do. There's some work in progress. And what's interesting, I think, is as I see them all together now, um, there is an, a, a narrative thread that through them all that makes you, you know, the viewer see. I think you know something of the uh, of the nature of what goes on in these people's heads. <laughs> yeah. And uh, are you working with any incredible people on this project? Ah, <laughs> well, there's this, there's this guy called Dave, okay, who's, uh, who's, who's going to be writing the copy for this. So, you know, I, I don't know him very well, but he's like, you know, but he, he, you know he's, he's kind of up for it, so, <laughs> and he's cheap. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, Dave, 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 my good friend, sat next to me, is writing the copy for this, and uh, will do a sterling job of it, because he understands advertising and the madness of it just as much as I do, I think, so, yes, so that's that's. And, and also, um, you know, we've been working... I, I do a lot of work for Shots magazine, um, an increasing amount now. We have great relationship, and I work with Danny Edwards a, a lot on, um, you know, sort of like some very interesting conceptual editorial stuff. And uh, Shots have always been a very good supporter of this, and they are... Um, EMAP, uh, who are, their parent company, will be uh, publishing uh, the book at a later stage. Uh, which will come out hopefully in 2013 uh, with all the images in and oh, Dave's wonderful copy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, we'll just, I think we'll just, what I, you know, what I, want it, what I want the book to do is to encapsulate um, a, a, a period in, in, in British creativity that maybe to a certain extent isn't with us anymore at the moment. You know, it's not, I don't know whether it'll ever come back. I mean, whether it will or not, I don't know, but there was a golden age. Um, and I know people keep talking about this in the advertising industry, but it truly was. And it was, and I think it, where, where advertising engaged the public to a degree where people honestly thought the ads were often better than the TV programmes. And that was true. Mm. Yeah. So we're going to have a, a book that's coming out, and that's going to have interviews that are also going to take place as podcasts. Yes. And then there's going to be an exhibition around about that time as well, but there is a preview exhibition coming up. Yeah. Um, which will be coming round about the time of this podcast. Um, do you want to tell us more about that? Uh, yes, my God, this was dropped on me about six weeks ago, and uh, we were working flat out to get it all done, but we will. Um, but it's such a massively good opportunity. It's basically, I was talking to Rosie Arnold, who I've shot for this project already, and he's, he's now become a very good friend. And um, she, the day before I went on holiday, um, six weeks ago, she said, Julian, you really must exhibit these uh, pictures at the DNAD 50th um, anniversary do on the 18th of September. And I said, Rosie, thank you so much. Oh my God, how am I going to do this? But it's going to get, it is uh, you know, virtually done now, and it's, um, but it's a fantastic opportunity. I mean, it's like basically, you know, these, these images in front of, 1800 of the the most creative people in Britain and increasing the world I think so yeah I mean wow yeah thank you Rosie very much (laughs) and uh, I've had a little preview of some of those prints a couple of days ago at the um, at the printers 
My goodness, they are huge, they're incredible, <laughs> really impressive. Um, it's the first time I've seen them that big myself, you know what I mean? I knew I always designed, you know, designed them and shot them with, with the intent to blow them up that back because I knew, they, you know, I knew they would look good big. But actually when you do a print at sort of AO size, which is like, you know, 40 by 50 or whatever it is, inches, um, and you see it, it's just... Just blows you away, and that's the, I think that's the difference. I think that's I mean, as a photographer working in the digital age now, is that you, um, I think most people forget they see so much on, on iPads and iPhones and stuff that you know that they, they kind of they become numb to the fact that when you see an image, it's like when you go into an art gallery. I mean, you you know you see a you know you see a, a Damien Hirst butterfly picture, you know a little. A little thumbnail of it, of it on, online when you actually go and see it in an exhibition it's, it blows you away and you then realise the intent and the fact that you need to see these things it's like, it's like, it's like watching you know, a film on, at the cinema or watching it on an iPhone which, you know, which is going to blow you away the most yeah. so if, if you're uh, listening to this on some kind of iThing um, looking at the screen right now and seeing these uh, piddly little pictures that are on there you won't be able to get the full uh, the full impact unless you're seeing them absolutely massive but at least you can see a preview just now uh, we're, we're going to talk in a wee minute about some of the people who um, are have portraits in the exhibition and we're going to be bringing out podcasts for these people as well um, all in a flurry roundabout now as well um, so there's going to be a, a five special edition podcasts with these people but first of all could you tell us a little bit about you, a bit more yeah. of your history, how you get into advertising and how you got out of advertising <laughs> and what you do now. Um, I think like a lot of people, this is actually different, I think, um, now, these days, but back when I got into advertising, which was in the 80s, uh, the early 80s, um, it was because I didn't know what else to do with my life, basically. It's like a lot of, pe um, a lot of people say, I, you know, I'd been, um, I'd done an engineering apprenticeship and I'd been... I became a graphic designer um, because I could draw, um, and I used to do record sleeves and all that kind of stuff. I started to realise, yeah, I think as most a lot of creative people do, suddenly, ooh, ideas are really interesting, aren't they? That's what really, really is interesting about the communication process is the concept, the concept behind these things. And um, so I, you know, I started reading about it, started looking at a lot of advertising, knew I wanted, that's what I wanted to do, and I remember. <laughs> Um, I was not that young actually, I was about 25, 26 and I had a portfolio of sort of graphic design and stuff, you know, uh, no real advertising, but I knew what it, that's what I wanted to do. And I remember coming to London, because I lived down the sticks at the time, and um, with my little portfolio, I stayed in a uh, youth hostel um, <laughs> in down by St Paul's and just trudged around agencies and, you know, um, headhunters and people like that and got tons of shit and, you know, sort of, oh, like, you can never work in advertise you're too old or you know, or, you know your, your work's very good but it won't you know it's not really advertising work uh, until yeah, I got uh, you know um, uh, a job at PA advertising which used to do um, uh, you're going to hate me for saying this but recruitment advertising and business to business but actually at the time um, in the in the 80s there was a, a, a real sort of drive to make recruitment advertising better and I think everybody who works in recruitment advertising was really bullish about making it as good as brand advertising and actually bringing branding into recruitment because you know if you want to get good staff you have to 
you know, sell yourself to them as much as you have to sell your products. Yeah, I, mean, I, I started in recruitment as well. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's all right. We, yeah. we can move from recruitment into decent work. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, not as the case maybe, but yeah. I then started working more on the business to business stuff and also ended up, because PA were a big consulting group, they had lots of, they used to consult around the world. So, increasingly, I used to get involved in the, um, the corporate advertising campaigns for them. So, I got, you know, I then moved into, I got headhunted to join MSL, which was the, uh, the business to business division of Sarches at the time. Uh, this must have been about 1990, I think. Worked there for a couple of years as senior art director. Budgets we used to work with were, were fairly low, but I'm just really ambitious. So I used to sort of like, you know, do so. I used to be so hands on, it's ridiculous, you know what I mean? Because it's like to get stuff done, to get the image that I wanted to project and, you know, get the quality of work that I wanted, you know, I used to sort of like, you know, bust the gut I think to actually sort of make it really really good you know as good as I could so that it would impress you know uh, the brand advertising guys the people that I used to read about in campaign I wanted to be as good as that I got approached in 1993 uh, by a headhunter who said to me he said I've got this really strange brief but I I don't know if you'll be interested in it um, but um, uh, this big retail company or um, ambitious retail company want a creative director to work directly with them rather than actually you know going through an agency and it was Specsavers Optical Group um, who were based in Guernsey the Channel Islands they had about 150 stores at the time I think and they were growing very fast but they but because they were based in the Channel Islands I think they, they had used an advertising agency and got their fingers burnt a bit they weren't very pleased with what was happening because they didn't feel they had enough input which you know a lot of clients say that I know but Anyway, um, the the opportunity was that, that basically I would be given fairly carte blanche to um, build a brand for them, uh, working directly for them, and actually building a team um, to do that, and actually outsourcing you know whatever I needed to, to outsource to get to get the stuff done. And they wanted to do TV, and that, that I think was the, the the key for me because they wanted to do TV, and I wanted to do TV, and I thought fuck, I can't. This is great. I, I've got it. This is a great opportunity. That's the other thing is actually got me into direction of commercials as well because I used to write them, art direct them, and then um, first few were made by external directors I brought in. Um, but I got the taste for it, and um, and actually, you know, I really really enjoyed it. it. Was I found directing film crews was something that, you know, really worked for me, and I got a lot out of. Um, and finally, I mean, I was ended up doing brand commercials with the likes of Stephen Hawking and David Shepard, the artist, which I was fairly proud of. But the one thing I would say is actually in my time there, which I learned, um, was that um, it reignited my belief in in that fact that advertising worked, because I got direct access to seeing it work. When you're working in an agency, um, yes, you want to do great creative work, Often there's friction with clients, and actually, you know, I mean, you know, the, we know all know the old cliche about you know the clients an idiot, an idiot and doesn't you know, doesn't know what they're talking about. We know everything. Truly, um, when you actually start working, when you actually work um, as a, in a partnership with a client properly, um, and actually when you work directly for the client, um, and you see the results that they're actually getting and you're able to monitor the results and the feedback and the fact that the ground the brand is growing um it's amazing it actually makes you you know actually you know much more uh 
uh, it raises your um, belief in, in advertising, I think, uh, to a, a higher level. I think that, that that's absolutely true. I mean, in agencies, I've always battled to try and find out how campaigns have done. And it's one of these things you don't generally give the feedback to the creatives. And I think it's really important to tell creatives how their work has done because that will help them with their own thinking to know yeah. what works and what doesn't work. Yeah, I think there's a lot of, um, you know, the, the, what's built up is that, you know, some, some agencies keep, keep the creatives away from the clients. Some, some allow them to meet clients and stuff. And I think actually the more creatives meet clients on a, on a, a, a an affable basis and get to know them and understand them, then that generates quite You've only got to look actually at the history of great advertising and, and brands that have really done well. Things like, I mean, you know, I don't know if he says this, but Apple, for one thing, is like, you know, the Steve Jobs' personal relationship with Lee Klang. Um, Clo, Clow, I can't remember how you pronounce his name, but it's, I mean, that kind of relationship where you can go and thrash out great creative ideas between the client, you know, sitting over a, you know, sitting over a coffee with, with the client, that's what Steve Jobs used to do with the client, you know, and they, they built that brand, they built that brand out of, you know, they brought a, a humanity and a gravity to it that I don't think, you know, could, could have been any, done any other way, you know. Because he was the way he was, that, that, and, and because he developed that relationship, and Steve Jobs wanted that relationship with it, then you know you've got two great creative minds coming from business and you know pure pure creativity, bringing you know a lot to the, the table. Now, you then did that job, and then a bit of directing, and you're really a photographer now. <laughs> yeah, basically uh, woke up, yeah, it must have been about four or four years ago, one morning, and thought, I'm not doing what I set out to do here. I'm not doing what I really, really enjoy anymore. And I, my options were, do you go back into advertising, which I didn't want to. I probably wouldn't have been able to anyway, because I mean, having worked out in the sticks with the client, for a client for so long, and, and then having a huge hiatus of a few years doing other things, um, it wasn't really going to be an option. I didn't want to anyway. I didn't want to work for somebody again. Um, so I thought, well, how can I apply my creative thinking to something that I really want to do and I can build into something that's interesting? And I thought, photography. And uh, <laughs> everybody says, you know, people say to me, but, you know, what, why when there's so many photographers out there, would you want to become a photographer? But it was more about, uh, you know, I, it was more about um, being able to purely create images myself without any other um, input or distraction that was the appeal of it. And the fact that I relate to stills very well. I, I relate to film, I, I love film, and I, I, I still you know, dabble in film, and I, st I think film will probably increasingly have a, um, a uh, role to play in my career. But at this point in time, I love stills. I think there's something very special about a moment captured. It's you know, been all the way through the history of art, you know, um, you know, and even now, I mean, it's, you know, the, the, I get a great thrill. I go to a lot of galleries. I'm, I'm a big art aficionado, and and also, you know, classical art as well. I love. I mean, I'll spend you know quite happily a day in the National Portrait Gallery just looking at great portraits and analysing from a visual point of view um, and enjoying them too. Um, so right now in the podcast, I can put a link to your website so people can see some of your photography, yes. and uh, I suppose for seeing as this is going out to the advertising industry mainly are you available to hire <laughs> uh, yes <laughs> absolutely so let's talk about some of the people who are actually 
going to have their portraits in the exhibition, this, this preview exhibition for the DNAD. So, who was the first person you did a shot of? Uh, that was Trotty. <laughs> who was also the first person I did a podcast interview? <laughs> Incredible coincidence. It, it, it just has to be done, doesn't it? I mean, Dave Trot, you know, I mean, it's like when I, when I first thought this, I thought, you know, I, I had made a list. And actually, I, you know, I could have contacted any of them first. But I took one of the look at the list, and the name that leapt out for me was Dave Trot. Because, you know, Dave is a legend. There's no doubt about it. I mean, it's like, you know, you say what you like about Dave, but he has, I think, single-handedly brought on more people, into, you know, more great advertising people than probably anybody else as a creative director. I mean, he's the, the people who've been through his doors. I mean, you know, even more than, than probably John Webster. Um, you know, Steve Henry, um, you know, uh, Paul Grubb, you know all guys who went on to create their own agencies and their, their own fortunes and, and do great work. Um, and it's just the way Dave is. And Dave, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a straight talker. I like him. He's a, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a geezer. Um, but he also talks a lot of sense. I mean, if, if when Dave talks, it's worth listening because there is a lot that he says. There's a, and it's testament to the fact that his blog is, everybody reads his blog. I want to insert someone else in here, um, somebody who's been through Trotty's Doors, and you mentioned already, Steve Henry. Oh, now, uh, tell, me about, tell me about Steve. Steve's, yeah, Steve's, he's quite a guy. Um, I think, um, you know, Steve, again, I mean, Hal Henry are legendary. I mean, the, the work they did for Tango and Maxell and, you know, was just at it, in, in its time. I mean, you look back on it now and you think, you know, yeah, it's great, but, you know, uh, I've seen other stuff like it but at the time there never had, had, had been anything like that and you know he learned you know he learned that we, he used to work with obviously with Axel you know as as a team and it, I think but as a team they just came up with, with stuff that was you know really quite um, revolutionary and then also how about uh, the, the most prominent creative in the country the only one that's been knighted Sir John Hegarty, uh, how happened? Sir John, <laughs> <laughs> Sir John Hegarty, he's a lovely bloke. I love John. Um, yeah, well, we had a, a good old chat in his office, sat on the sheep, um, <laughs> which he's got in his office, and um, and he just written um, his Hegarty on advertising, um, and so he said he said well, I've got this, you know, I've, I used this image on the front, which was this rabbit little little illustration of rabbit with glasses on being pulled out of a hat it's like pulling out intelligent ideas to actually bloody do this I mean we had to get I only had three I could only find three three white rabbits because basically sorry, I'll back, step back away. I, I, what, what I decided to do was rather than just have him just pulling one rabbit out of the hat I said John look you know if you're talking about constantly pulling out rabbits then you'd end up with a room full of them wouldn't you so basically this is the task I gave myself was to create a sea of rabbits around him uh, with him pulling one out of the hat you know and, and and, and they all had to be wearing glasses I don't know why I do these things. <laughs> I don't know why I even even entertain doing this because I was like I had three rabbits to shoot. I could only find three rabbits that looked the same. And for for this for this particular day. And uh, so we got him in the studio and I I, sh- I I shot him in position with one of the rabbits in a bowler hat in a bowler sorry, a top hat, um, on a on a plinth. And then I, with the camera very carefully locked off, when he'd gone, I then basically got my assistants to, sh- 
chased these rabbits around the floor and just shot and shot and shot and shot and shot until we managed to get enough in the right positions so that we, I could then, you know, layer it and, and, and put it all together. And then I had to put the glasses on the bastards. <laughs> <laughs> Every one of them. So I had to shoot glasses in the positions that the rabbits were in, and then put them on and make it look, con- you know, conceivable they actually had them on. Um, and it worked. It was alright actually. It looked pretty good. Uh, what about one of the older legends of our industry? It was such such a lovely man, Mr. Tony Brignall. Tony Brignall, yeah. Um, Tony has re- been retired for a while out of, from advertising, and he lives in. Um, Great Miss, is it Great Missenden? Mm. It's out in Buckinghamshire. It's, it's lovely, actually. He lives on, down a dirt track. You know, you would never find him if you didn't sort of know where he lived uh, with his beautiful wife, Lula. And um, he's in his 70s now. I think he must be 76, something like that. Um, Tony is, is, he's a very modest man. That's what I can say about Tony, in, in as much as, like, you know, he he's... Very modest, very simple, very, um, uh, but also very, you know, obviously determined and very focused. And you know, um, so much so that when he left advertising, he uh, went and um, re-registered as a student um, in at Oxford to do a degree in English. Yeah. And he went and stayed in halls of residence at, in his seventies. Okay. Uh, because he always felt that he wanted to do a degree. Never, he didn't get a degree when he was younger, and he always felt that he wanted to do it again. So he did a, a degree in English literature at Oxford. Uh, and then I think he went on to do an MA, actually, after that. But, you know, and he now writes poetry. That's what he does. Because uh, he was a brilliant writer. I, I, I think he is the most, still the most awarded uh, DNA, uh, in DNA terms. He's the most awarded copywriter ever, still, you know, which is... You know, testament to, to the work that he did. What about uh, one of our, our our lovely eccentrics in the industry, Rory Sutherland? <laughs> Rory, oh god, um, yeah, Rory, bloody hell. Um, you know, I, his his picture for me solved itself the first time I met him, actually, because he is Dr. Johnson without a shadow of a doubt. He has got that sort of. It's like talking to um, a character from Blackadder. He's witty and he's like. Uh, irreverent and but he, he 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 sounds like he's from a different age somehow um and because of that i said you know he, he's he said he said to me he said, he said well, i quite fancy being in in old in old-fashioned costume okay so it instantly gave me that that i said well, okay well let's do this properly then let's let's make this into an evocation of an 18th century or 17th century portrait He's a true communicator. He's a true verbal communicator. He he gets across ideas with words like nobody's business. So I said, okay, well, let's let's set it in a library, you know, because all a lot of those old portraits are, you know, were set in places like libraries and stuff, you know, um, where, you know, the the inference was the knowledge of mankind and that kind of stuff. I said, well, why don't you you, know, you could be holding an iPad, an iPad. So it's like it's, it's totally incongruous with the rest of it, which is styled to look exactly like an 18th century portrait. But you've got an iPad and your arm. Finally, the person who has made this preview exhibition uh, happen, who demanded it in the first place, um, Rosie Arnold. Rosie, my favourite person in the world. I love Rosie Arnold. She is bloody wonderful. Um, she's wonderful because she is one of life's truly um, 
enthusiastic people. Mm. I mean, for somebody to have, you know, spent 27 years in advertising, and not only that, in the same agency. She's, I mean, she joined BBH as a student and she never left. She's like a powerhouse. I mean, she, I don't know where she finds the time. She's, present, she's been present at the DNAD this year, as amongst everything else, and also running all the bloody campaigns that come out of BBH and, and that sort of stuff. And um, but she still is enthusiastic, and still she still has again a bit like you know some of the the, the, the other people that, that I've I've met in this. She's still got a childlike sense of wonder, which I think defines most of the, the better people. Is that they're not really cynical. That you know you, you kind of think they will be. You know you kind of think senior advertising people would be quite cynical. I think I'm sure some are. But the ones truly that I've met, and maybe it's because that they are open to doing the people I've shot have been the ones who've been open to doing it. it I think it truly what what defines them is that that they have a, a childlike delight um, in ideas, you know. And I think for any students out there, okay, if you know, remember that one because it is like you know something that will define and grow your career. Is don't become cynical. You know, remember that ideas are so beautiful and can be so moving and impactful and powerful um, that I'm still in awe of ideas. I, when I see a great idea, I'm just in awe of it. So that's us now. We've got this uh, exhibition happening, which uh, will be starting imminently if, you're, if you've just got this podcast or maybe, maybe it's on right now. Um, and with any exhibition, can people get their hands on, on the, the, the shots here? What, what's, what's the deal? <laughs> We're doing a crowdfunding thing. Um, because I thought it would be rather interesting you know, to actually uh, put the images uh, up for sale. Um, obviously to the, you know, I mean, some of the sitters, a couple of the sitters have already bought theirs. Um, but there are others available. But there's also um, smaller limited edition prints of the images. Uh, which we signed and people people can buy in uh, which help will help helps fund you know getting the printing done and the, you know all the, all the mounting all that kind of stuff um, so yeah I mean basically I, I don't know how you do links on this thing but we've got a, a site called Sponsum we've got a a, 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 a page on that uh, where you can see the images you can have a look at it there's a, a video on there that sort of like just basically shows a little bit about the exhibition and uh, and also um, you know the rewards you get for you know participating in the, the sponsorship of the event, which basically buys you some some very unique pieces of art that you know are very limited edition mm-hmm. of spectacular people. So there you go, you can get them as well. And there's uh, going to be five podcast episodes coming out with uh, some of these people we've been talking about. Um, and the previous episode you'll be able to hear. Uh, Sir John Hegarty talking as well so he's uh, his portrait as you know is already in the exhibition so thank you very much Jules for your time thank you Dave so that's the story behind Assorted Nuts from the visionary behind Assorted Nuts it's given me an opportunity to talk to some of my industry heroes so I'm delighted to be involved we've got five brilliant interviews with some of these legendary ad folk coming up one a day for the next five days and that includes Saturday and Sunday see, I just don't rest so keep your iTunes running and hire a little chimney sweep lad to keep hitting the refresh button for you bye for now 
Future of Advertising podcast is brought to you by Additive, the marketing industry's most inspiring training company. Find out more about our talks, workshops and inspiration sessions at getadditive.com and get one third of your first booking by joining our mailing list. Shh.